Hey everyone, welcome to NARC Survival 101, dedicated to survivors of abuse. It is your girl Erica here. Guys, I know I have been slacking on my podcast and I sincerely apologize for that. I've been so busy with my everyday life, but I've also been busy with the other platforms. And if you are interested, I do have a channel on YouTube. It's survival 101 at gmail.com. I also have one on TikTok at survival 101 And of course, my Facebook, survival 101 So you, you kind of get it. It's all correlating there, right? Welcome to any newcomers, and of course, to those who have been listening to the platform. Welcome back, guys. Thank you so much for your support, your feedback. It is so greatly appreciated. Guys, today's subject is going to be about betrayal trauma, the betrayal wound. And the reason I wanted to talk about this subject is because a lot of victims, a lot of survivors have been asked the questions, the dreaded questions. Why did you stay? If the person was abusive, why didn't you just get up and leave? Well, you must have known all of this because you decided to stay anyway. The common questions that a lot of people ask that are pretty much standing on the outside looking in, don't really know the whole scenario of things, don't really know what's going on with it. Why do victims stay in abusive relationships? How can they stay with someone or be around family who clearly doesn't respect them and abuse them? Why didn't you just leave? Or the statement, it's your fault, you stayed. Now people often wonder why recipients of abuse either stay in relationships or go back to relationships filled with abusive behaviors, yet they're classified as victims. They wonder how such occurrences can happen, yet the victim has, quote, no accountability. Well, allow me to explain a few things that may give a better understanding of the whys and hows. Before we talk about that, let's first discuss abusers. Now, an abuser is defined as a person who treats another person or animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. Well, Erica, how does a person become an abuser? There are a lot of different factors. We have upbringing, mental illness, genetics, received abuse, projected disorders, and the list can probably go on for as long as my arm. Essentially, an abuser becomes abusive because they've adopted abusive behaviors primarily from the abusive person or people who've abused them. Bear in mind, an abuser does not always indicate physical altercation. Now with this, it has become a surviving as well as a defense mechanism. However, this is not indicative of unawareness. An abuser becomes aware of the effect their abuse is having simply with the natural response of the effect of abuse from their victim. So their evasion of responsibility will pretty much be futile. Now, whether they have an abusive upbringing, toxic relationships, unhealthy connections, their actions, though they're ingrained, they're not excusable. 
So don't fall for that. Oh, you know, I was abused as a child or I went through this. I went through that. It was this person. It was that person. No, there is no excuse for abuse. That's because these behaviors have been normalized. The people who project these same behaviors, well, they don't see any faults in them. This has become their second nature. And though we understand that abusers were once victims, their choices have shown that the victim card is pretty much invalid when the abuser chooses their own path. And it's because of this mindset, abusers feel justified in their actions, which, quote, allows them to elude accountability. And the abuser pretty much deflects onto the victim that the victim's behaviors warranted the mistreatment. I know. It's a lot to take in. Digest it for a bit. Now let's talk about victims. Now a victim is defined as a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other events. Another definition for victim is a person who's tricked or duped. Now, as we can see, the definition of an abuser is a bit different from the definition of a victim. Nonetheless, there is still a connection between the two. An abuser was once a victim. They just internalized and project their pain in an extremely negative way. Now, the question that most people ask, why do victims stay in relationships that is completely toxic and abusive? As a result of abuse, victims often beat themselves up about the hows and the whys. How did I allow that to happen? Why didn't I see things for what they were? Though anyone can attract or form a connection with an abusive person, while some leave at the first sight of a red flag, others stay longer than necessary. Does this mean those who stay longer were asking for it? Does this mean those who put up with these behaviors were desperate for love or liked the toxicity and stayed knowing they should have left? Absolutely not. Understandably, there are a lot of people who are not familiar with abusive, toxic relationships. These same people are usually standing on the outside, looking in, often thinking that they know. And often, these are the same people who are pretty quick to pass judgment, failing to realize there are groups of different components which facilitate these types of relationships. But Erica, we have free will. How can someone manage to keep control of another? Does a receiver of abuse to not become aware of what they're dealing with? And do they not have choices? Well, yes and no. It's not that simple to explain, but I'm going to try. Now, people aiming to have and maintain control in relationships, whether they're family, love interests, friendships, and even colleagues, they set up radical standards for their targets. Now, these standards can vary. You know, soothing the abuser's insecurities, following rules set by the abuser, surrendering to the abuser's wants, needs, and desires. Targets are typically unaware of these standards. However, they manage to take on the responsibilities of upholding these standards. How is this possible? How can people take on a role that was not made known to them? 
How can people automatically assume a position without being given a coherent choice to accept that role? Don't we have a right to choose who, what, where, when, and why? Again, the free will thing. Evidently, free will is utilized even in abusive, toxic, manipulative relationships. If this is the case, how are victims created? This is probably the part where skeptics maintain their skepticism with the notion, said sarcastically, abusive relationship. If there is a willingness to participate, how can there be a prolonged amount of abuse if the recipient has choices, especially to leave? What a lot of these skeptics also do is correlate abuse with physical altercations. Well, the wounds must show. Seeing is believing. Science, DNA, anything that proves abuse is the correct word to describe a situation which really calls for it. And if there was in fact abuse, why didn't the victim just leave? Why did they go back to their abuser? Why did the victim not use common sense? These are common questions asked by people who couldn't understand, wouldn't understand, and have a hard time validating someone who is in fact a victim of abuse because, well, they simply live with the perception, faith by sight. It's with the same principle, victims find the struggle to speak on their experiences for fear of no one believing them, no one supporting them, and everyone shaming and judging them. There are a lot of elements that play roles in not-so-healthy relationships and how they're sustained or even why they're sustained. But let's consider the participants' upbringings. Let's consider family traits and the possibilities of inheriting certain traits. Let's consider mental illness and how these affect the abilities to create a healthy familial environment. Most importantly, let's consider how these circumstances can mold the minds of those raised with these conditions. We know not everyone comes from the same environments. Not everyone has or had the same circumstances or experiences, and often people adopt the behaviors performed with them as these behaviors have been normalized throughout their lives. We also know that these behaviors can be a hard habit to break, whether good or bad, as these behaviors have become a deep part of our lives and everyday routines. What a lot of people would need to understand is these conditioned beliefs can and typically determine if someone will become an abuser or simply an enabler. Now, let's talk betrayal trauma. The betrayal trauma was theorized by psychologist Jennifer J. Freyd, okay, spelled F-R-E-Y-D, but it's pronounced Freyd, like F-R-A-Y-E-D, and this was theorized in the 90s. Now, it's conceived that betrayal trauma occurs when a person, people, or institution which someone depends on for survival commits acts of betrayal to that same person. Yet that person overlooks these betrayals for fear of losing connections or their means of survival. An example of betrayal trauma would include forms of intentional abuse from a caregiver to a child, be it if it's essay, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and psychological abuse. 
Because the child is in a vulnerable state and is unable to survive on their own, the child will often overlook the abuse and continue to keep their trust in the caregiver committing the act. Eventually, this becomes a coping mechanism for that child. This essentially influences how events are processed throughout the person's life. Now, following betrayal trauma, recipients of this trauma may utilize what's called betrayal blindness. Betrayal blindness, also introduced by Freud, is defined as the not knowing, unawareness, and forgetting displayed by the people towards the betrayal. Victims may display betrayal blindness in effort to preserve the relationships which they depend on. Example of betrayal blindness is a wife who's a stay-at-home mom with no independent financial resources. Her husband is the fully employed spouse who takes care of all the household bills. Now her husband commits acts of infidelity and on occasion may even get aggressive. Because the wife depends on her husband financially and has for an extended period of time, she's passive with his infidelities because, well, she's, she basically survives off of him. He has all of the financial means. He brings home the bread, the butter, the bacon, and everything. So because she has to depend on him and she has no other means, she may stay in a relationship that is emotionally abusive, possibly physically abusive, psychologically abusive, and of course filled with infidelity, simply because she has no other way to take care of herself or take care of her children. Now other cases can include a deeply ingrained fear, fear for one's life, for their children, some find it difficult to leave for fear of being harmed, or others find it hard because they've been enmeshed in these relationships and may face repercussions by external forces like family, institutions, religious factors maybe play a role. You know, there are different ways of intimidation or different ways of enmeshment that people end up staying in abusive relationships because of outside factors. And when I think of betrayal blindness, I think of cognitive dissonance. You know, though the similarities may seem apparent, they are different. But nonetheless, the outcome consists of the receiver of abusive behavior staying in relationships that is evidently unhealthy and potentially dangerous. So just keep in mind, if you encounter situations with others who remain in toxically abusive relationships, whether emotionally, psychologically, or even physically, there is that chance that these people may be experiencing a betrayal trauma. This is a trauma that's been passed on to them since they were children, since they were young. And this has pretty much become a coping mechanism for them. But all in all, given with the right professional help, they may be able to overcome these obstacles. Sometimes all it takes is to go self-reflect, get the help that you need, and change it around. Because in actuality, this is all a thought process. All of it is. Narcissism, codependency, betrayal wounds, rejection wounds, everything. It's all a thought process. 
It's typically how we perceive ourselves and what we deserve or what we think we deserve. And if you change that thought process and you turn it over, it might actually come out for the better for you. So guys, I know it's kind of short and my uh, podcasts are usually a little bit more lengthy, but I'm still doing some more research. I'm still, you know, out there spreading awareness trying to do the best that I can do. I hope this was a bit resourceful for you. And I, again, promise to start picking up the pace with my podcasts. But please be sure to check out my other platforms on YouTube, on TikTok, and on Facebook. I do weekly lives every Friday on my YouTube channel. I do weekly lives every Tuesday or Wednesday on my TikTok channel. And if you want to reach me directly, you can reach me at narcsurvival101 at gmail.com. Any questions you may have, anything you want to talk about, you want to vent, you want to get it out, you maybe need a little guidance, you can definitely contact me. So again, guys, I hope this this clip was uh, informative for you. I'm still doing more research, I'm still doing more studies, and I will still pass on the knowledge. Sharing is caring, right? So I hope you all have a beautiful night, a beautiful weekend, and until next time.